Today's episode is not for little ears. The topic we will be covering is for adults only and will deal with some heavy subject matter. You know I love bringing you a wide array of stories, and with that will occasionally come these little disclaimers. These days, dating can feel especially impossible. There are so many good things to look for in a partner and so many things to look out for. Maybe a guy will only date you if you've had the vaccine. Maybe he doesn't really want kids, hard pass, or maybe he isn't a believer. I don't know what your big red flags are, but I can guess one red flag in particular that many women commonly look out for is a man's intake of pornography. Before you at me, hear me out. I know that women also watch pornography, and I know that they also participate in it. But today's episode is all about one man's journey into porn stardom and out of its dark shadows and into the light of redemption and restoration. Despite stories of abuse and harm that circulate around the porn industry, I think that there are still many people out there who think, you know, as long as consenting adults make adult films, what's the big deal? Turns out it's a huge deal. And again, I think there's also a perception that if anyone's going to be vulnerable to the harms of working in porn, it's going to be the women. But today's story challenges that assumption. My guest was one of the top five male porn stars for six years, starring in over 1,000 videos. Since leaving the industry, his life has been radically changed. He's now a husband, father, pastor, host of the podcast Counterfeit Culture, and an anti-porn advocate who brings a message of hope that no one is ever too far gone to turn their story around. His story is a sobering reminder of the effects of porn and how it can change your life and the lives of those around you. Please welcome Joshua Broom to The Spillover. Let's start with just growing up the first time you were ever exposed to pornography, because I know the first time I was. Yeah. So I would love to hear just your story on um, how old you were and what exactly happened. Yeah. So I was about 13 or 14 and I was at my cousin's house and, you know, he had these uh, these magazines and, you know, he was like, hey, check this out. And we were looking at them. And I remember like being like, you know, uh, a weird blend of like excited but confused and like I, I know I probably shouldn't be seeing this. And it just like in in some ways it just, you know, cultivated this desire to, to see more. But I really didn't know what to do with it. You know, how did you go about trying to find more? Did you just go back to your cousin and say, hey, do you have more magazines right. or or what was that like? Yeah. So for me, it's like I, I, I didn't consume it on. Uh, you know, a regular basis or anything like that. I, I think up until probably 17 or 18, I may have seen it probably 10 times. Like it, I, it wasn't something that I saw very consistently, but you know, there was like shows that were on like late at night that like were pretty much like right. porn, you know, but um, as far as like consuming actual pornography, um, that was probably like a three year period before I actually did that. And then, you know, Found it on the internet one day and then it's all over from that. Yeah. Would you consider yourself to have been raised in a Christian home or more of a secular household? Yeah. So my mom had me when she was 16. So we live with her parents. So lived, I lived with my grandparents and they absolutely, you know, we went to church. You know, Growing up in South Carolina, we went to church on Wednesdays, Sundays, Sunday night. Um, so I absolutely grew up in a Christian home. But just knowing what I know now. Um, I knew a lot about God, but I didn't have a relationship with mm -hmm. God in any means. It's just like a box that we checked. For me, it was a box that I checked on a you know weekly basis. Did you grow up with your mom and your dad in your life? 
Right. So my dad lived in the same city okay. that I lived in, but we didn't have a relationship. So he was this guy that lived in the town that I lived in, but he wasn't like my, he didn't play the role as my father, which was kind of strange being in a small town because literally like yeah. I'm going into this the grocery store and like, there's a guy over there that's my dad, but I don't know him. So it was just this weird tension and me, like I have a massive uh this this you know as far as like personality type just high achiever so for me it's like i thought that i needed to achieve mm -hmm. acceptance in some capacity so i spent my life trying to fill the gap that was there because of that you know i had this void that was you know what what's wrong with me um is is there is there something that i could do so that he would want to you know to be my dad but yeah that was just something i carried like throughout my childhood Okay, so how would you describe your relationship to sex and just how you viewed women in your late teens, early 20s entering adulthood? Yeah, so, you know, very much so like a quote unquote, like ladies man, like I, I very much into hookup culture. And for me, again, um, that that achiever mindset where it's like I wanted to get the girl that no one else could get. I wanted mm -hmm. to get the most girls. I wanted to hook up with the most girls. So um, I found that I, I didn't have a lot of integrity. Like I, I wasn't faithful to girls. I would, you know, on spring break, it was if I was in a different place and the girl I was seeing, it, it didn't matter. Um, you know, how many girls could I get with on spring break? Like that, See, that's you have that luxury before like the hype of social media because now you're tagged in somebody's story. Right. <laughs> Guys can't get away with it as easy now as they probably could have then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you decided that you were going to actually leave the South where you were, right, right, to go to Los Angeles. So could you talk about just how old you were when you decided to move to Los Angeles, why you moved there, and what your goal was with moving there? Yeah, so I started modeling and acting when I was 14 or 15, was really into theater, studied theater in college, and I thought if I put myself in closer proximity to the jobs that I was pursuing, then you know that would make sense and my career would uh, just take off. So that's what I did. So I, I was around... 21, I, 21 just turned 22 when I moved there and I went out there and got an agent and, and things were going okay. Like, you know, most people that end up in the, the situation that I ended up, um, you know, it's like, well, I, I needed to do this or I had this like very like traumatic, like childhood for me. I went out to Hollywood and in some, you know, for some people outside looking in, I was having some success. Like I was paying the bills and whatnot. Right. So. And what year was this? Uh, 2000. So I moved out there in like 2005, 2006. Okay. So early 2000s. And at that point, I mean, you're in modeling and acting, but had you ever even thought or considered like, what if I were to go into adult films? Yeah. I mean, never crossed my mind. To, I mean, to be completely honest, it was one of those things. It was like, it wasn't real. Because like the the people on the in in those photographs or on that screen, um, I never wrapped my head around it was a it was a living breathing person. It was just content that I consumed that it you know it it created this response in me. So it it was more you know those were products that I was consuming and that was a process more than that was a person that I was viewing. It wasn't like a you know like a peeping tom or like you know see, seeing something yeah. you know in another room. It was like. This is a fantasy that doesn't really exist. Let's go to the day where you were actually offered to start doing porn. Where were you? What were you doing? And just what was your life like at that point? Yeah. So 
Um, I was living in Hollywood, so I was living in um, like right on the the cusp of West Hollywood. So Crescent Heights turns into Laurel Canyon in 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 that area. So on Sunset Boulevard is where I lived, like right in the middle of everything, and. I was doing okay modeling and acting, but like most, like most people that live out there, it's like you have to work a secondary job because A, it's really expensive yeah. and you live way beyond your means. Cause like, you know, I, I would have like, you know, $2,000 in my account and I would still go out and like buy bottles for people. Just an idiot. That's, you know? <laughs> but I just think that's like LA life. Oh, for sure. They it's still like, do that now. Yeah. Like if you're not getting a table and you're not getting a bottle, it's like. You're a are, nobody. Yeah. Right. So I was, I was, you know, trying to, to, you know, I was in circles where that wasn't a big deal, but I wasn't making the money that other people were. So like a lot of people, I had to get a, another job. So I'm working at this place called Saddle Ranch and it's like in the middle of West Hollywood and there's a mechanical bull in the middle of the, <laughs> the restaurant. I'm so, getting the vibe. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's a restaurant until 10 PM. Then it's yeah. just like absolute chaos at 10 PM. So I'm working there. Uh, I'm waiting tables and bartending there a little bit. And in walk these four girls and I walk up to the table and it's like, you know, maybe I'm going to get their number or, or whatever. I'm, I'm going to put this, you know, my, my Southern charm on them. And I walk in, I uh, walk over there and I start talking to them. They're like, hey, have you ever considered acting? And I was like, actually, <laughs> I'm an actor. I'm an actor. Yes. And I honestly thought that like it was going to be, hey, we're working on this project. And we're going to, would you like to be on this project? Or we would love to introduce you to like our casting director or, or, or something in, in, in that lane. Uh, but, but they were like, no, 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 we're talking about porn. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> because I, like I was saying, it's like, that's not something that I thought like these four girls that were sitting there, I mean, I, I didn't know what to say. I, was, I mean, it was it was shocking, but I was like, I honestly didn't know what to say. Why were they saying that? Were they porn stars? Yeah. So, yeah. so all four of them, all four of them were porn stars. And I don't understand this. So do, do is this typical for adult actors to go out on the town in groups and then like prowl on people and be like, hey, you know what you should do? Join us. Like, <laughs> is that normal? I, I, I don't think so. Like the the way that I got in the industry was so different than every story. I, heard. I mean, I think it was just like this weird happenstance. They just okay. happened to be out for drinks and they were all together and they saw me and they were like, hey, we want to invite you into our world. And what really got me is they're like, um, would it be okay if we introduce you to our agent? And like best case scenario, knowing what I know now, maybe they got some type of fee for like bringing me in, but they could have had no idea this random guy in this restaurant was going to have the type of success that I had. You know, like there's there's no way you know that. So it's... um Definitely not common, but so was the meeting the agent going to happen that night? Like he was also there in the same bar, or they were saying like you know in a couple days, right? Yeah, so like we'll set something up, and then and you yeah. were okay with that? You're like, why not? I honestly like my curiosity got the best of me. It's and like the thing that they said like we'll we'll introduce you to our agent. Like that was language that I was familiar with, mm -hmm. and it made it less weird to to be honest. But even though like I saw porn as this like dirty thing. So even they said, even with him saying, hey, you know, our agent, pretty quickly I was like, is this going to be like some weird guy in a hotel room? Like, is so, this going to be super sketchy right. or what? Yeah. So, so let's discuss that a little bit. 
How much time had passed between that night at the bar and then actually meeting up with this guy? Yeah, so this was a Friday night and then the meeting happened on a Monday. So, okay. so relatively quickly. And where was it a hotel? It wasn't. So it was this like gigantic like business complex that was pretty close to where Universal Studios was. And I walk in, there was like a private elevator and security and Because they have so many famous adult actors working there? Uh, I mean, I think like more so like like they're just nooked away in this. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the deal so is. So when you walked into this, the business complex of porn or whatever, yeah. it's not. You didn't walk in and see like a bunch of half naked people walking around in lingerie. I feel like this is what people think in their minds. Oh right, they look no. normal. Yeah, I mean, this this is like an you office. Know, yeah, you w- walking into you know any nice like executive studio. So it's like I'm walking in, and then and then it, then it gets a little bit weird because as I'm walking down the hallway, there's like you know framed photographs of like successful like porn actors and stuff and, it's and just are they like, naked in the photos and everything uh i mean it's like it's like playboy and yeah. playgirl so they're they're not naked but almost you yeah. know it's like or in some cases maybe they were I don't, right but yeah so as i'm walking in and there's these pictures everywhere and i walk into this you know this this room where he's in and he's sitting there behind this like big desk you know, three-piece suit on, uh, big, fat, uh, double Windsor tie, bald guy, English accent. And I was just like super intimidated because more so it was like nothing like I expected it to be. In what way? What was unexpected to you about it? I mean, I just thought it was going to be sketchy and weird. And, yeah. and like it, the the more it wasn't sketchy and weird, the more weird it was, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you're you're a little bit disarmed. Right. You're like, okay, maybe this isn't that bad like this all looks very legit right. it's nice this is a real business office that i got to go on a private elevator so you're kind of like this is a little bougie honestly right. so then what is the first thing that this bald english guy says yeah. to you yeah he's, he's like just tell me about yourself like you know tell me about like how did you grow up you know what why are you in la like what is your you know what's your objective of being here what do you want to accomplish and why did you agree to meet me and I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I grew up with my mom. Um, I, I don't really know my dad that well. And which was somewhat of a strange question. But I'm but, honestly but in, wondering in, if he asked that just to see how, I don't know, easily it would be to kind of manipulate you or something, oh, you think? In retrospect, absolutely. Everything he asked me was absolutely so that his, I mean, to a good salesman, I'm going to ask you a few questions about yourself so that I know you enough so that I can sell you with my language. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I, I grew up without a dad and then it's like, you're in LA, like trying to get famous mm-hmm. and you know, you want to, you know, be an actor. He's like, okay, got it. Well, let me tell you, uh, you're, you're a good looking guy and there's not a ton of good looking guys in the porn industry and you have acting experience and the industry is actually shifting and they're going to parody movies and they're going to make these like big production films that's going to require guys to be able to act. And the fact that you can do that, that's going to be so advantageous for you because you'll get all the lead roles. You'll be wow. famous in no time and you'll make all this money and you'll travel everywhere. Was he... Uh, immediately putting out figures of how much you could make? Uh, he, he he didn't talk like how much, but he was just saying, you know, f- just using like big words, you know, like famous. You can make millions. Mil- so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then I'm like, it sounds good, but there's this voice like in my gut, like this is a terrible, terrible idea. And I'm hearing him say this and it just... 
for me, I was I was someone that was like, I was a terrible friend. I was I was the flaky friend. It's like, hey, you gonna be there tonight? Absolutely. But never in reality, I'm never gonna show up. No chance I'm coming. Uh you know, text me. I'm not gonna text you back for at least two or three days. I was just that's how I, that's how I was. So he was saying all this stuff and my, I put my yes on the table, but I never really intended to go through it because there oh, was so a you par- said yes, I'll do it. Oh, I was I was just like, yeah, that sounds sounds great. You know, I didn't sign anything or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, well, here's how this is going to work. If you want to do this, everyone gets tested at this, um, you know, one at this one lab, so that you're we you're talking about like STI, STI, right? Testing. Yeah, so okay. like, so like everyone goes through this process because kind of like your your card that allows you to work, you have to have a. Uh, a current test that's in between like 14 to 21 days just depends on what company you're working for but 14 to 21 days so you have to go and get that test and once that test comes back i'll book you a shoot and if it goes well we'll go from there i was like to be honest i was like the the test i probably needed to take it because i was very promiscuous before that i never gotten tested for anything so i was like it's probably not a bad idea so Sure, I'll go. I'll go take the test, and we'll see what happens. And they they sent a town car to pick me up to go take the test, which, which again was, feels fancy. Wow, right. look at this amazing lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I go and take the test, and it's like it's supposed to come back the next morning. Doesn't come back, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like do I have something? Like what's going on? Like, and it just doesn't come back the next day. And it's just an issue with you know with the lab or whatever. But a, a Lots of signs early on, you know, just a nudge, like, don't do that. A gut feeling. Yeah, just like, don't do do not do that. That's a terrible idea. But then the next day it comes back and he's like, we pushed the shoot back. We want you to do it. And then he's like, we'll, we'll, send, you, we'll send a car to pick you up. And then the next day there's a car coming to pick me up. And I'm like. So he just kind of started scheduling it without a, a firm, yes, I want yeah. to become an adult film actor. Yeah, I didn't sign anything. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know who. Like, I didn't know like who the girl was. I didn't know who the production company was. I did honestly. I don't even think I knew how much I was getting paid. Like, there was tons of questions I didn't know the answer to. But for some reason, I was just like, sure. So, were you nervous the morning of your first shoe ever? Uh, I think I was in denial. I so I wasn't nervous. I was just like in my head. I'm like, I'm not gonna do this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to flake. I'm not going to do it. 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 And then the, the car gets there and it's just like, I guess I'm going to go. And, it, and and then I go and I get there. And again, I'm like, well, it's probably just going to be like, whatever. Probably like someone will hand me a video camera and I'll go in this room and it'll happen and I'll get a check and then I'll never do it again. This is a bad idea, but I'll just do it once. And I I get there and there's... Like a very much crew. like here. Well, well, also like very much like here. There's so, there's someone at the front desk. I sign in and then I meet with someone. And like here's paperwork. Fill this out. This is how you get paid. I didn't read it. I just signed my name. And then I walk in and there's catering and there's multiple cameras and you know there's lights everywhere and you know it's just like I was pr- pretty like I I was so confused because I was like what this is porn like this can't be like what's happening? And then someone comes up to me, a PA comes up and he's like, Hey, here's this blue pill. Uh, if you've never taken it before, don't take the whole thing, bite it in half or don't take it at all. It's in your hand. It's yours. 
do whatever you want with it. Um, the director is going to need you in about 40, 40, uh, about 45 minutes. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like in the bathroom, like looking at myself, I'm like, you idiot. Why are you here? Like, what are you right. going to do? And then I'm thinking. Had you even started to process or think about the fact like, oh my gosh, if I do this, what if people in my life find out I've done this? What if this gets out and people see me having sex on film? I mean, I, I should sitting be sitting here saying yes. But the honest, like the honest answer is that no. I was just thinking I was I was so oblivious to reality. I was just like, well, I mean, if if I do it, it'll it'll be whatever. I'll just do it one time. It'll be, you know. And do they do okay. I'm just gonna ask you every detail possible because I just find this interesting. Yeah. Is there a wardrobe person like or do you wear your own clothes when yeah. you walk up on camera? Yeah, I mean there's there's a wardrobe okay. person, there's makeup, there's um, you know, there's there's every like like you know, a regular Yeah, movie like or TV I mean set. I've done like Fashion Week in Paris and it's a similar experience. Wow. At, at times. Okay. And so the director comes and talks to you and then does he say literally don't even think about it, just have sex like you normally would or no. they're giving you tips and saying you need Not to do even this, tips. this, and this? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's so far beyond that. So it's like, you know, I, I yeah. Tell us how fake it is. Oh, so yeah. So I, so number one, like the director highly suggests that you take some type of erectile dysfunction medication. And in some cases, there's uh, there's shots called Caverjack. So it's for paraplegic people so that they can have sex with their spouse. So it's like what? literally a shot. So it's like it it's working regardless of if you're reading the newspaper or what, whatever. And if you take too much, it's, you know, it, it's, it's it'll stay like that. And then you'll have to go to the hospital and, you know, get, you know, Lance so that, right. you know, so crazy but number one so there there's some type of you know performance enhancing drug you know okay. there's 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 some type of erectile dysfunction medication that you're taking um pretty much all guys across the board and it's because so the guy is the only person that doesn't like the guy's the only person that doesn't get paid for sure because the director's footing the bill the director is paying for the location he's paying for the crew he's paying for the permit you, yes you need a permit there's literally a mm. permit in LA for filming pornography. Um, so he's paying for all these things, and including the talent, the crew, um, catering, blah, 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 so on and so on. And if the guy doesn't do his job, there's no product. But everyone else has to get paid because they did their job. But if he doesn't do his, he doesn't get paid. Okay, but what is his job? Right. So, I mean, to... To, to, to just... To have an orgasm or what? Yeah, I mean, well, to 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 do the scene to the point where it's usable footage. Okay, okay. So it's like, you know, to, to get 30, 30-ish minutes of usable footage and finish. And how long is an entire shoot for one, you know, video of pornography? Yeah, I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, there's there's been some that were as long as 10 hours. Holy crap, okay. And then the thing is, so it's like, as it's happening, you're, it's not just like, you know, Bada boom, go. It's like you walk in, the director's like, okay, like do this, do this way, move move this way because there's there's literally someone holding a boom mic. There's someone underneath you holding a sea light. There's, you know, a, a random guy over in the corner eating Doritos. It's, I mean, it's- The most, basically what you're saying is, the reality is when you're making porn is that it's actually the most unsexy situation oh, possible. And, and then for the most, like- Best case scenario, there's two people that are somewhat attracted to to each other, which is not always the case. More often than not, it's not. But 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 by 
the middle and definitely by the end, neither person wants to be there. And and it's like you're you're doing uncomfortable things. You're and, and lit and, like uncomfortable and then like literally uncomfortable. It's right. like because you're 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 not like just having sex. You're having sex so that someone can see it, which is very different. Right. And so because of that, because um, I, I okay, this is why I'm asking these types of questions, especially if you're what you're asking like Alex, why do you want to know the details? I think it's important to know, and I'm saying details just as in like how it's made, right. because the biggest problem I think is the way that pornography warps your mind as a young person, whether you're a guy or a girl, and yeah. to you know this unrealistic depiction of what sex is supposed to be. And so why I'm asking these questions is, you know, every move you make, is it like directed and like you have to go for five seconds and then pause and then readjust like none of this is how sex really happens. Yeah, it's it's so like every position, everything is just stop, go, stop, go. Right. And then I mean, and every everything about it, because the reality is like you see content on a screen. It's like, oh, this is uh, a, a a depiction, or this is just some, two people having sex. But the reality is, just like a crazy fight scene that you see on The Matrix, in no way is that happening in real time. Yeah. There's editing, there's stop, you know, people are stopping. The two people that are there, they probably don't really want to be there. There's there's medication that I'm taking so that I can I can do that for the length of time I'm doing. There's lubrication, there's all this stuff going on. So it doesn't that, even necessarily feel good for one or both parties. It is right. completely acting. You're not like or are you enjoying it? Like how does yeah, it Yeah, I mean work? it's it it's it's like by the end it's it's so like it's both like especially like I did over a thousand movies. So by the end, it's like, it's so monotonous that, you know, it's just like, I'm here just to clock in. Like any work, any job. And do a job that I don't want to do. It's like, as crazy as it sounds, like, you know, to to think about sex in in a way where it's like, I'm just here to do that, you know? And yeah. What was the feeling that you had when that first shoot ended? Were you thinking at the time, and it's okay to be honest, this was amazing. I can't believe it. This is like, I think this should be my new career path. Or were you like really feeling unsure and still not totally convinced that this is what you wanted to do? Oh, yeah. I I mean, I felt humiliated. Really? Yeah. Could you elaborate on that a little? Well, I mean, the thing that, um, so it's like you're, you're having sex in front of, sometimes 30, 30 people. Cannot imagine. And and then, um, I mean, just just thinking about like, and then especially like the, the very, like the, the worst part for a guy is that, you know, the, the climax where it's like someone's literally with a camera, like looking at you, like, all right, when, when, you're, when you're good, let me know so that we can, because everything changes because that, like that's that's an important part. Right. So there's there's literally like at times there's literally someone like cameras touching you over your shoulder. That's so uncomfortable. It's so weird. And also And then everyone is looking at you. And if you mess that up like that's it. It's not like, you know what I mean? You yeah. can't fake it like a girl can. Like so right. if it's messed up then all of the whole day is ruined. And and in, in most cases you don't get paid. Wow. Because so that not, was just all of that was humiliating. Yeah. I mean, just 
yeah, like who who would who would want to do that? And it, I mean, that's the reality. It's like people are like, oh, like that was awesome. Nothing about it's awesome. So then how, if you were feeling humiliated and you were like, I didn't really like this, then how in the world do you go from that to filming 1,000 right. pornography movies? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I felt humiliated. I felt ashamed. And I was just like, I'm not going to ever do that again. But what I didn't know is that the company that I worked for that day, it was a very popular company. And all of a sudden, I, mean, I didn't think about like how quick the turnaround was, you know, with the production. So within uh, a week, week and a half, that video is is on the internet and it's got thousands of views. And all of a sudden, like my my name is is being you know tossed around, and I get a phone call and I'm getting fired from my agency. That I work for the real acting, the agency. real acting agency, because obviously that's a breaching contract. And then all of a sudden, someone I, I, I lived in a you know, I graduated with a hundred people, so I, there's a porn of me on the internet. So someone finds out, someone tells someone, then all of a sudden my mom knows. <gasps> Immediately, only after your first movie. Yeah. Okay. Pause. Right. Talk about your mom finding out and what she said yeah. to you and how that conversation went down. I mean, so I, I grew up in the South. So it's like first and middle name, you know, Joshua Luke. What in the world have you done? <gasps> and I was just like, uh, and just, I mean, it was, I was caught, you know, and I just felt so dumb. I just felt so dumb. And, um, and I've been fired, you know, like, like literally everything that I had been working towards was gone. And then I was kind of seeing a girl at the time at, at that restaurant, you know, we were hanging out, um, like not like seriously dating, but we were, you know, mm -hmm. we weren't seeing anyone else or whatever. And, you know, obviously I, I had to, I had to tell her that. And then, you know, her reaction wasn't good. And she was kind of the, the nucleus of my friend group. But they had, but she had been there a lot longer. So she was a pretty successful dancer. Um, so like she did like, you know, like background dancing, like for like music videos. And she worked at a dance studio, um, like having like a pretty decent career. And, um, so like I was humiliated and she worked there a few nights a week and then she knew everyone I knew. So I quit that job because I was like, I, I'm not going back there. Yep. Everyone hates me. And they're all going to take her side if she was there longer. Right. Um, and also it's like, I was, I was in the wrong, you know, I was like, you know, it was a terrible thing to do to her. And um, so it's just like, I'm just kind of feeling like, okay, well, I've, I've kind of made my bed. I have to lie in it. And I was like, I don't know what to do. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. Um, the only thing I had done outside of that was just a little bit of personal training, but I I didn't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I I want to I want to act. I want to you know I want to model. I want to travel the world. I want to do all this stuff. And the phone rings, and it's that agent. He's like, hey, everything went great. Um, I'd actually like to sign you to a contract. And not one part of me was like, yes, this is gonna be amazing. I 100% was like. There's literally nothing else I can do. You felt like you were at the end of the rope and well, what other choice do I have? Right. Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, like by no, like the reality was I could have moved somewhere or did something else or just got a job like anyone else could have went back to school or whatever, learned a trade, could have done something. I, I, I'm, 
a charismatic, crafty guy. I could have figured something out, but I didn't. And I and I, I saw this easy opportunity to do something. And I believed the lie that, well, I messed everything up and this is just this is just who I am. This is just what I have to do. And um, my personality is such as like whatever I'm doing for good or for bad. If I'm eating chicken wings, if I'm drinking beer, if I'm playing, you know, whatever, whatever it is, I'm going to be the best. And I, I don't do anything, you know, I'm not half in, you know, yeah. it's like everything I do, I'm all in. So it's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be the best. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the best and I'm, I'm going to win some awards and I'm going to make a lot of money. Like this is, this is just what I'm going to do. And was your mom forgiving and like, you know, Joshua, I still love you despite what you're go what's going on. Or was she like ticked off and like, you're out of my life? Um, yeah, but in in no sense had she ever pushed me away whatsoever. Um, but she did say, you are so much better than that. Mm -hmm. There's so much more in you than you doing this with your life. Like what what have you, you know, what have you worked for? Like mm -hmm. everything you've worked for, you're just throwing away. Just like, yeah, you made a mistake, but that doesn't mean you have to continue making that mistake. She's like, just just do, like whatever you do, you always fall on your feet. Like just do something else. And my shame caused me to start to push away everyone that had, you know, that, that had authority in my life or anyone that even I had an authentic relationship. Like I was in a fraternity in college and those people like were the first guys that like really showed me like how to be a man. Mm. Like they, you know, like, like just practical things, like taught me how to tie a tie, like how to like do simple things on a car, just like literally like, um, like eating, like etiquette, like, like stuff that like I would have never known. So just like, just, just stuff like that. But I continued to push them away as well. Like even like some of them were like, oh, that's cool. But I was like, I know you. So it's just like, even if you're saying it's cool, I, I, I don't, I don't want to talk to you because it makes me feel, if that makes sense. Like I didn't want to feel like I was letting people down. I was just like, this is just what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it. That first contract that you ended up signing, what did it bind you to with that company? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was just a, uh, just a year contract where, you know, very, very similar to like, I have a literary agent. So it was just like any funds that you make, mm -hmm. you know, based on me, you know, advocating for you, I get 15% of that. So, I mean, that was, that was pretty much it. When did you realize, okay, I think I've made it. Like I'm the number one of the number one male porn stars in the world. Yeah. So the, like the first year I was in the industry, I got nominated for like best new like guy or whatever. Um, I didn't win. And then um, I, I, I just continued getting like lead roles. And then the, the next year I got nominated for like best male star. And then I, that continued for three more years. I got nominated for best male star. Then in, in 2012, I won like best, best performer of the year. Uh, between that and I was directing for a large company and, and those- A porn company? Yeah. And like, and those movies were winning awards and, um, you know, I, I was making more than anyone else. And so, so let me ask you this, <clears throat> you're making more money than anyone. You have now achieved a directorial role, which, yeah. you know, you were really interested in the actual acting industry. Right. Um, but- and you would, you know, made a thousand movies or whatever. You get to this point where you're making all of these things. Are you, as time goes on, getting more and more comfortable with it? Or as time goes on, are you getting more and more uncomfortable? Yeah. Um, 
it was almost neither. It was just like I was numb. Mm. It was like I was dead. And like as my career went on, I became more and more detached from reality. It's where like Josh didn't really exist because no one called me by that, number one. They called you by your stage name yeah. or whatever performer name. Yeah, and like even even like where like I would go and I, there was like a few restaurants that I lived in vicinity to and I would go pick up takeout. Like everyone knew who I was like there and like people on the street would sometimes like recognize me, which is so weird. In retrospect, that is so weird. That is really I weird. I remember being in Vegas and some guy and his girlfriend stopped me and asked if he could take a picture with me and he signed his shirt. And I was like, that's so strange. And like, just think like I didn't, at the time it happened all the time. So I didn't, I didn't care. But it, like in retrospect, like that is really, really weird. And how many days a week were you working? Uh, so in, um, so the year, so in, in December, like everyone's trying to like, they're in like post-production, they're trying to get their movies in so that they can be nominated for awards and the award shows in, in January. So um, really people are only like shooting February through November. So I was, for me to do a thousand movies, I was working almost every day. There were, there were some months I would work like 30, 35 times, like doing multiple like shoots in a day. But for the most part, it was, it was every day. Like I, I didn't, I didn't have a life outside of that unless I was going on vacation or something like that. Like, yeah. In the porn industry, what is your relationship like with your coworkers? Like, are you guys all having sex with each other and then being like, let's go out for drinks? Or is yeah. it awkward and like you only talk on set and then it's just weird? Are you dating each other? The, the, are people dating who they're having sex with on film? Yeah, I mean, it's literally like the real world. You know, it's like literally like this world that like, because I, I can't. I mean, I, maybe it ha it, well, it does happen in some instances, but for the most part, like people who have a name and that, you know, work consistently, you, you date people who are in the industry because like, you know, it, I being a girl is like, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a porn star. It's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to date you. And it, and if you are dating, it's like, it's not really dating, you know? Like, what no is one, it? Well, I mean, you're you're just hooking up, you know. It's Do just, you think people were wanting to hook up more once they found out what you did for a living, just because they were like, "Wow, let's see if it's you yeah, know, I like mean, what yeah. the hype is." Yeah, I mean, absolutely, but like it of no substance. And then for for me, like literally, it's like. Well, I'm not going to do that because I'm work. I have to work tomorrow. So that's what I like, was wondering. When you're doing that for a living on camera, then do you even want to do that in your personal no. life? No, I mean, because like literally, like that would cost me, you know. Yeah. And then for a guy, like, like for me, the reason I had so much success was my acting ability and I was consistent. Like I was consistent in that, like, there's a lot of people who are just like absolute maniacs and, and screw ups and just not good people in from a business aspect, where it's like people would be late or not show up or like be hung over or just, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I never, like I would party, but I never got into drugs. Um, if, if I was supposed to be there, I would be there and I would always do my job. So it's like, like that was the reason I had success. It was just like, I was a extraordinary, normal person in a very weird industry. There came a point in your career where you were so successful in your films with women that it was suggested to you, like, what about, you know, 
doing films with men as well. Could you talk about that transition? And yeah, yeah. How so, that happened? So it's like I I win performer of the year, and I like literally like in in. So I was growing in this like I was depressed, I was numb, um, and I was like that the the breaking point for me that kind of led to me even contemplating that decision was I was dating someone in the industry. And then one day we were, uh, we were at dinner and we're at dinner with someone who they, everyone was in the industry and I had worked with his girlfriend and he had worked with mine that week. And we were just sitting there talking about it. And then later that day, the girl I was dating, like wanted to continue that conversation because she, she thought it was hot. And that you guys has had sex with each other's partners. Right. So, but she wanted to, and then she wanted to start talking about like what she was doing on set that day. And like that for me, like someone who grew up like with a single mom and like literally like throwing things at, you know, my gorgeous mom that like people are trying to hit on. Um, I was very jealous. So like, but I thought so little of myself and I was such a chameleon that I was just like, well, whatever situation I'm in, I just have to be okay with it. And if that's what you want to talk about, then I, I allowed it into our relationship. And it was super traumatic for me. So it's like, I was saying that, yeah, you know, it's fine that you talk about that, but inside I'm just like horrified. Had you ever had sexual thoughts about men previous to that? Yeah. Ever any, any attraction? No. So it's just in that and it was it was just so weird because in that industry it's like because I had an I had such a a big name in the straight side of things it's it's there's this big allure where it's like anything's taboo it's like whatever's not done is yeah. taboo so you know f for several years it was like hey if you ever do that if you ever want to do this name your price just name your price and just let me know and I was like you know seriously considering like harming myself. Mm. and before actually doing this or after bef before and i was like i don't want to do this anymore um I'm, I'm working 25 30 times a month um well, what what can i do and i wish that i could like really like just put my arm around this person that was hurting that bad because i believed that it was i would rather compromise my sexuality and agree to this contract to have sex with men than do anything else. Because I didn't think that, I thought I was, I was a prostitute. Mm -hmm. I was, that was the only thing, the only value that I had was the only thing I could ever do. So if, if I took that contract, I'd only have to work two or three times a month and I would make the same amount of money. Wow. And so when they said, name your price, do you remember the number that you said? Well, I, I said, you know, 250 for, you know, 30 scenes. And then I I did it and I thought, you know, it, it was worse than I thought. Why? Uh, I mean, because I'd never like had any like interaction like with a man in that way. And, you know, it, but on set, it was pretty much the same like thing. Like it, it to me, we we're just like, I mean. To, to it was be, just very mechanical. Well, and to be transparent, it's like you're you're not working with people that you would seek out like interaction yeah. with. Like. A lot of the times, especially like as a younger guy in the industry, what sells is not like, you know, two young couples hooking up. It's no. like you and like an older lady. So it was like, you know, the, the first like year I worked with 
you know, literally people in their fifties and sixties. Wow. So it was just like, I mean, it to, by that, by that point, it was just like, who cares? It's like, whatever. It's like, it, it's, everything's monotonous. Everything is arbitrary. I don't care about my life. I don't care what I'm doing. And there's nothing else I can do. I might as well do that. And then that led to me like doing like, you know, being okay. It was like, Hey, you, do you want to come to this party and just like, you know, stand around and, and, you know, at, at this, you know, I, I won't say like the name, but you know, famous people's homes were just like, you know, just be like a bartender and like hand out drinks, like walk around in your underwear and I'm just like, sure, like whatever. And just like, I thought so little of myself. Mm-hmm. Because like literally, I was like, I'm a prostitute. This is who I am. This is how much I'm worth. And what else can I do? So I might as well do it. And I just continued saying yes to whatever was in front of me because I just didn't care. Did you have any friends at all that were outside of the industry at this time when you were feeling so alone? No. So all the only thing you knew was that world. Right. Is that typical for someone in the industry to be that isolated? Yeah. I mean, the I mean the the reality is like for girls especially the the trajectory the trajectory for a lot of girls careers like this. You get in the industry, especially gorgeous girl, get in the industry, you have a lot of success. But when girls get in the industry, guys sometimes have this, but more so girls, a, a no list. So a no list is I, I, I don't want to do these things. Mm-hmm. And then in some cases, because, you know, so many people date within the industry, I don't want to work with these people. So it's like, I don't want to work with my ex or whatever, you right. know, or I don't want to work with this person's whatever. And they have this career. And then the moment that their career starts to fall off a little bit, the agent will do this. Okay, well, there's X, Y, and Z that they haven't done. Mm. Let me reach out to these companies. Who's the highest? Who's the highest bidder? Okay, you'll give me. You'll give fifty thousand dollars for this. Great. And then goes to the girl and says, "Hey, um, I know you haven't been working as much as you normally work, but I actually got a phone call out of the blue." By this company mm-hmm. and they're willing to pay fifty thousand dollars for that thing that you said you didn't want to do and i know you said you didn't want to do it but once you do that you'll be relevant again you'll have value again and then they do it and then once they do it it's not taboo anymore and then so they just do it all the time and then once all those things on that list are gone because they because like girls like they they get you know like shot out you know it's like they they get, they're no longer popular once you see them do everything they're not popular anymore for the most part and then so their phone stops ringing and it's like well the agent most agents especially like this agent specifically he's like well I own an escorting agency also which is just you know this is what they said to you no no, no. so to, this to is girls. what they would say to this girls. is just okay. this this is a general conversation that's happened so these girls. The agent had an escorting agency, which is just glamorized prostitution. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you can do this because you still have a little bit of a name and people will, will, will pay a high dollar for you. So they do that. And then after the phone, after that kind of starts to slow down, well, there's feature dancing, which is at strip clubs. They Strip clubs will pay a nominal fee for someone who has a name and they'll be the feature dancer. And that that runs its course. Then the phone's not ringing. And then, you know, f- four, five, six years have passed and people have been telling you, well, 
no one's going to want you, so you might as well do that. If there's nothing else you can do, you might as well do that. This is who you are now. I mean, what what are you going to do? And you're looking at your life, and it's like, well, I don't have a resume. Um, like, what what else can I do? And 30 people who I was in the industry with, at the time I was in the industry. Um, so, you know, I'm in my 30s. Uh, you know, they they would be in their 30s now. They took their life mm. because they they looked at their life and they believed that life was not living. It wasn't worth living anymore. And those scenes they did are still on the Internet. And those scenes are being still consumed at an astronomical rate. So it's like they believe the lie. That there's nothing else they can do. And, and that was where. My life was trending. Like my, my life was trending in that way. And I thought, well, if 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 I do, you know, the gay stuff, it's like, you know, I, I won't I won't be pot that popular anymore. And it was weird because like I, you know, I was in the industry for about six years before that. And it's like all of a sudden, like I didn't have anything in common with most of the guys that that were on set. Like I didn't know them. I didn't know anything about it. We didn't have similar interests. So like, and, and then my, my other friend group, you know, or, or like, you know, my, my, my situational or, or my work friends, like there was this weird tension there. It's like, are you gay? Like what, like what, what's going on? I'm like, I no. it's just like, I, I'm just taking this money to do this. And it was just this weird, like all of a sudden I'm just by myself. And it's kind of like, I made this decision without really thinking about the consequences because mm -hmm. it wasn't that big deal. And all of a sudden I was like, well, what am I going to do with my life? How often did you notice signs of or hear of sexual abuse happening or sexual harassment happening in the porn industry? Every day. I mean, it was, it was common. So it's like, I would get to set and if the, if the girl was already there, like if she would disappear and it's like, well, oh, well, this director paid me, you know, an extra $500 to do this quick thing with him. I mean, like he would, he would film it to justify it, but he wouldn't use the footage. That's definitely weird. Yeah. And that, and that was just, that was something that was common, you know, and just like, like, like inappropriate touching and just like, and it was, and it was because like, well, if we're in this environment, like, no, doesn't mean no, it means not yet or name your price, you know, or, or like there, 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 there are no boundaries. Like even your, like, I don't like, I don't like that really means, well, I'll ask again in five minutes. Right. Did you ever hear of underage people? Um, being taped or used on set? Um, I, I didn't. So it's just like, it, it was like when you were on set, like everyone had to, you know, you had, you had to have, yet to get tested, you had to be 18. Uh, when you got on set, part of the paperwork, like you had to look at that person's ID and match it to, you know, their test. Um, you had to have two forms of ID. So um, in my experience, because I only work with large productions, I never saw a lot of the stuff that that does absolutely happen, but in my experience, I didn't see it. 
What was morale like? I mean, you were experiencing, obviously, incredible amounts of despair. You talked about how you had several friends take their own life. So was everyone just seeming miserable um, that you knew that was in the porn industry or was it a mix? I, I mean, what's the honest truth? Do, do the girls seem like they just feel worthless and, and sad? Yeah, I mean, pretty common to be sitting there in a green room, like waiting to shoot, and both people are just on their phones, just like sitting there, like on another planet, you know? Like, so, like sometimes, like girls would show up to set, like too high or drunk, or they would bring, like, you know, a flask or something to set, like to, to take the edge off. But, and then, like, people would get sent home because they were. You know, because like if you were if you were like visibly drunk or high, like they would they would get sent home and then they would just bring another person in. Um, but for the most like there were some people that were really bought into the lie where it was just like, I love what I do. Right. And this, you know, I, I'm 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 famous. You know, I, I make all this money. Um, but it's like it's so sad to have a deep conversation with those people, like in retrospect, because. There are some people that I still talk to and they are great people. And what, what the truth is, if you have the personality, the business sense to be in, to be alive and to be in that industry for a long period of time, man, you are incredibly gifted and they would succeed at anything, mm -hmm. at anything, because like, they're just one of those people that like if you're someone who is captivating on camera and like you're, you know, you articulate things well and you have like this uh, likability. Yeah. Like you could win in any area of your life, but you believe the lie that because I did this or because I do this, I have to put on the mask and pretend like I like it. I have to put on the mask and pretend like I love my life so much. But at the end of the day, that's why the, the self-harm and the overdose and the drugs are so high because you're masking the reality at the end of the day, when you put your head on the pillow, like one thing you could not say is like, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of what I do because there's this, there's this desire in each person. It's like, I want my life to matter. And you could say that it's like, well, I'm helping people's marriage. I'm helping people's sex life. No, you're not. And you don't believe that either. You don't believe that. Like you'll say things to, to, make, to, to make yourself feel better. But at the end of the day, you lay your head down on the pillow and it's like, I sell myself for sex and people stand around and film it. Like that's what you do. Like I make money by selling myself. No one feels good at the end of the day that does that. Did you ever have anyone that was shockingly young come up to you and say, hey, like I love watching you, like that it really just disturbs you? Um, I mean, definitely like at, like at conventions and stuff, but like I, I I don't remember like anyone being like super young. I just didn't like know that. if you were ever like out, you know, to get dinner or something and some like 12 year old boy came up and was like, hey, I recognize you. I just thought that would be crazy. Um, I I don't know because like I don't think like porn like was what it is now. Right. Because you have to go to like a video store. And... Yeah, you had to go to a video. I mean, it was on the Internet and it was being consumed for sure. I mean, I mean, this was I mean, this was only 10 years ago, so it wasn't like, you know, 40 years ago, but um. 
Yeah, I, nothing that I remember. But I mean, it, if I'm walking through Vegas, I don't make it anywhere without someone recognizing Even me. Even today? No, no. Just I mean, then at the height of your career? Right, yeah. Okay, that, I was just curious. All right, so let's talk about your your breaking point. Um, I know that you were going to the bank to deposit a check, uh, yeah. you know, a very simple, normal act. Talk about how that completely changed you. Yeah. So kind of like what we were talking about, um, I was living this life that, you know, I didn't have any authentic relationships and I had stopped answering my mom's calls. And I, there's no one in my life that was calling me Joshua. No one. And I go to the bank and more often than not, I would just drop it in the ATM because I didn't want to face the music. I didn't want to see an actual person and then look at the check. And then on the memo, it said the name of the movie because they were always, you know, something bizarre. But this day I walk in the bank and I'm like, well, I don't know if the ATM wasn't working or whatever, but I had to go in line and deposit the check. And I hand the person the checks, like, do you have, you know, your account number? Do you feel your slip out? I was like, no, you know, swipe the card. They, they do all that stuff for me. And then they hand me the receipt. And as they hand me a receipt, I start to walk away. And they're like, Joshua, are, are you okay? Joshua, can I help you? I was just like. I'm just, it's like it literally still gives yeah, me. He has goosebumps for real. Um, because that was the first time I heard my name in over a year. And it just like, for me, it snapped me out of this numbness. And I felt every single bit of pain that I'd been suppressing. And what I really felt in that moment was, man, my mom had needed me and I wasn't there. Like my mom had went through some really difficult things and I wasn't there. Because you were doing porn. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, so like it, just life trauma, like my, like my mom finally met someone like, like, like growing up, like she married someone, there was abuse and drugs. And it was a bad situation. She got away from that. Just like, you know, having me at a young, young age, just had this like difficult life, but like always was just, she found a way. And then um, finally find someone who treats you with honor and respect and they're together and they're married for less than a year and his pancreas ruptures and he dies. Oh. I wasn't there. Mm. I wasn't there for my mom for that. And, and it was like, I was so oblivious to everything and like didn't care about so much as like, how could I, I didn't even know really. Whereas like, I, what, what could I do? Like, who am I? I don't, I can't help anyone. I don't have any value whatsoever. Why would you even want to talk to me? You, you have to be humiliated. Like to, that I'm your son. And like, why would anyone want to be my friend? Why would anyone want to, you know, anything to do with me? And then in that moment, it's like, no, you messed up. Your mom loves you so much. And how could you not be there for her? And I went home and I wept and I looked myself in the mirror and I was just like, no clue who I was looking at. Just like so lost. Like, wh what am I doing? And then I just pick up the phone and I call my agent. I was like, I quit. And I call my that day. Yeah. And I call my PR person. It's like, I quit, um, put out a press release. I quit. And then, um, 
Did you say in your PR statement the truth about why you were leaving the industry or no? Um, I didn't, but for some reason I thought it was important that like it was the weirdest is like I've chose to to leave this industry and by the way, I'm not gay. Like that's literally That's what you said? Yeah. Like verbatim? Yeah. And so were people like, what is going on? Yeah. Were were your were they calling you personally to say what is the truth? Why are you leaving? And did you tell them? Well, I, I did I just disappeared off the planet and then so and then there were like these tabloid stories that were like saying that, you know, he like there was a story circulating that like I got HIV and that's why I left the industry. Oh, that was probably infuriating. Oh, yeah. But I mean, to to be honest, like I just like I I, I tried to just I I lit ironically, I had a Celtic cross tattooed on my shoulder. Um, but then I got covered up. I, I covered up my tattoos, deleted my social media, um, did everything I could to just sweep it all on the rug. And I was idiot enough to believe like, okay, it's just like I can just disappear and um, it'll be like it never happened. But what actually ended up happening? You're, you finally quit. You're at least out of it. Yeah. But you obviously are still still dealing with this brokenness. And so what do you end up doing next? Yeah, I mean, so most people hear my story and like the part they miss is like I didn't quit the industry and become a Christian the next day. That's just absolutely not true. Um, I spent two years running for my life, trying to cover up everything that I did, lying to people, making up stories like I, I was already embarrassed about my past. But on top of that, there was another level of shame again about my dad. So I was like, I would make up stories about my dad. I would make up stories about what um, what I was doing in L.A. Um, I was just lying to everyone I met. But very quickly, they would find out what I'd been doing because the reality is because porn like continues to come out like that, it's like it doesn't come out as quick as you produce it. So I still had movies coming out. Um, I the uh, the award show that I won the award, it was it was on Showtime. I mean, and and I had traveled all over the world, like doing um, so at at the time, like on uh, Cinemax and HBO. It was like that on late at late night. It's not that way anymore. Just any time of day, but late, you know, like you know, ten years ago, late, um, they would have like soft core like porn movies that had a, a really bad acting, really bad theme, and then like people not really having sex, but it, it looked, you know, a lot more graphic than, you know, you would see on a, a movie. Um, but those movies were all over the place and I did tons and tons and tons of them and they didn't pay good, but you got to travel to really cool places to film them. So I would, I would, I did a bunch of those movies, but they were all over like HBO and Cinemax. So it's like, I couldn't run. You couldn't escape it. Yeah. So it was like everywhere I went. So I was working at um, a Whole Foods for a while. And like literally the first day, a guy in the meat department was like, oh, God, I know who you are. What are you doing here? I was like, oh. And then quickly, it's like, oh, it's like he tells everyone. And they're just like, I'm this guy that like once a day, someone's like, so like, you know, what, what was it like, like being in the industry? Just like, God, I, I just, I just, I just want to be a normal person. It's like, I spent my whole life trying to be famous. And then I was like, man, I just want to, you know, I just want to stock these vegetables you know, or like whatever. And then in addition to that, I started working at a gym and I worked at that gym for just a few weeks. 
And then someone told the owners of the gym, because I did not tell them. They told the owners of the gym, it's like, hey, like this guy was a huge porn star. Or like still is. I, I don't know, but like there's thousands of movies of him like all over the internet. And you, I don't know if you want like him personal training people. Like I, I don't know. And I'm sitting there in this office and they're like, why didn't you tell us that? And I was like, well, I didn't think you, you would hire me. And they're like, well, we probably wouldn't have. Um, but like the person that's he's sitting here, it's like you, you work really hard. You're honest. Um, you have a great personality and you, you care deeply about people. So um, we're going to set some boundaries but I believe in you, so I want you to continue to work here. And that I, kind of felt like, oh, somebody's giving me a second chance. Yeah, and and I mean that that was so critical because it would have been so easy for me just to go back in the industry, so easy. Like, so I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm struggling, I'm working like two jobs, making like forty k, and like the the previous year I, I nearly made like $400,000. Wow. So it was just like, what, what am I like? And, and daily I would have night terrors. So every night I would go to bed, I would have the same dream over and over again. I'm, I'm doing something normal. All of a sudden I'm naked and everyone knows who I am. That sounds like PTSD almost to me. Oh, it like the level I'm still in counseling. Like, you know, I, it's been over seven. It's been over seven years. Well, it's been ten years since I've been out of the industry, but seven years um, since I really changed my life. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the the level of mental and emotional trauma that I experienced in that industry was very, very uh, intense. But yeah, I would have I would have these night tears, and I would end up in relationships with people that would, or like I would date people that knew about my past, and like they would. Like we would get in fights because mm -hmm. they were unhealthy and I was unhealthy and they would say very hurtful things to me. And um, it was just like, it sucked. And like, so how in the world did you then meet, pull yourself out of that hole and kind of find God? Yeah. So, I, so I'm, I'm working at that gym. Um, time goes by. About, about a year and a half goes by. And then there was an opening at another gym to step into this like... Uh, management role. And I interviewed for it and I told them about my past and I had a lot of really good recommendations and I got the job and I was able to quit like working it because I was working at Whole Foods and working at the gym. So um, I started, uh, you know, working at this gym and then this girl comes in and I asked her out on the date well, actually, I tried to put her equipment away. So it was a CrossFit gym. So after the workout, everyone puts their own equipment away. And it's like, I go up to her trying to, you know, put the charm on her. I'm like, hey, I'll put your stuff away for you. And um, she was like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I was like, and to be honest, like, I, I wasn't used to that. Yeah, you weren't used to being turned down by a girl. No. And it was just like. Okay, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, do you do you want to go out to dinner or something like that?" And she was like, "No." <laughs> like you're like, "Wow, rejected again." I know. I was like, "I think I love you," <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, "I don't know." I was just so taken by her, and um, she came up to me. She's like, "Well, we can go for a run." I was like, 
like I like to lift weights and like go fast. I like, I don't like you sound like you want to go for like a really long run and I don't want to do that, but I will. I will do that. <laughs> and we met at this park. And as I'm sitting there waiting on her, I just remember this just like this just like feeling in my throat just like just I don't know like I was in trouble or or something. I don't know. It just like I just felt this like guilt. It's like, man, you've hurt because I did. I hurt a lot of people by being dishonest. Like I hurt a lot of people because I wasn't forthcoming with my with my past. I, I I I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yeah. So just like I I was like, well, I, I can't hurt this person. So you felt like you had to tell her right away. Yeah. So I was just like, hey, um, and like as 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 we're this this run never really went. You know, this run ended up being a walk. And I'm like, hey, I need to tell you something. Um, I did a, a little bit of porn. She was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> <laughs> what? What you? What you? What'd you say?" I was like, "You know what?" And I was like, "Be honest, be honest, be honest." I was like, "Okay," and I was and I told her everything. It was just like, just brain dump, like everything bad I've ever done in my life. I'm like, I kicked my brother when I was 12. You went through I the whole laundry like, list. Everything. And then she's sitting, like looking at me like, and she doesn't say anything for what seemed to be forever. And then she finally says, well, I did not expect that. I was just like, are you gonna slap me? Are you gonna, are you gonna leave? Like, should we go? Um, am I going to get fired, you know, from, from my job? Like, are, are you going to say like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just expecting the worst. And she's like, well, I want to tell you something. Um, you know that like the worst thing that you've ever done, that doesn't define who you are. And like the greatest thing you'll ever accomplish, that doesn't define who you are either. God. God defines who you are. Do you know who God is? And I was like, for me, I, I for so long, I was the guy on the date, right? I'm whoever you want me to be. If you're into, you know, if you're into fine dining, I'm a chef. You know, right. like whatever you want, I am that. And so I was like, yeah, I believe that God, because I, I knew a lot about God. You know, I was like, yeah, I was like, I believe that God exists, I believe that time, space, and matter came into existence at the same time, and there had to be uh, a catalyst for the force that created those things existing outside of those things. So yeah, like I, I believe that God is real. She's like, that's awesome. Um, do you, what's your prayer life like? Like, do do you have a relationship with Jesus? Like, and I was like, crickets. Yeah, and I was, but like, what I normally would have done was lie like that was my instinct my instinct was to lie say whatever i need to say to you know get you into bed or to to get you to say yes or to get the job to get you know to whatever that would benefit me yeah in that moment i could not utter anything but the truth and i was like i don't know and then she shares with me that she's 
been a Christian for a long time and her family is Christian and this is how she grew up. And she told me about how, you know, she was at this play when she was 14 or 15 and it, it impacted her and she grew her faith and she goes to church regularly and she prays. And this has been her walk with Jesus. It's not what it used to be, but she's, she wanted it, wanting it to grow. And then all of a sudden we're talking about tacos. I was just like, so she wasn't ending the date. Yeah. So, but I 100% believed that once I said that, I was going to be rejected for sure. But I was like, well, I just can't lie to her. So I'm just going to tell her this. You know, I'm pulling off the band aid. This is going to hurt because she's going to tell me, like, how much I suck and how dirty I am and how nasty I am and how she'll never talk to me again. But she didn't. Mm. And then she's just like, well, you know, that's what you did. It's true. Whatever. Um, anyway, um, there's this really good place that, you know, these tacos or whatever. I'm just like, and then we just sat there and we like, we continue to walk and talk for what seemed to be forever. Um, and then I go on my merry way and it was like, you know, I, I was like a high school kid, you know, we're just like. Couldn't just stop thinking cr- about her. Right. You know, we're, you know, we're texting each other like, you know, a million miles a minute. And then she's like, hey, um, I normally go to church at this one place, but um, there's this other church that a lot of people from the gym go. Um, and, and it's you know, like the demographic's pretty young. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, because like she had, A, she had broke down these boundaries within me. And she's cultivated this curiosity in me. So I was like, I was like, yeah, let's go. And we go and... Um, when, when I walk in, I see this huge sign that says, we want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was like, you want to love me where I'm at? <laughs> I don't know. You're like, you don't know where I've been. Yeah, you don't know me. What was the sermon that day? Do you uh, remember? Yeah. So it was, so in First Samuel, it talks about this story about Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth was... Um, he was part of Jonathan's family. So Jonathan and David were best friends. And then Jonathan dies and David takes over as king. And it was his it, historically when a new kingship would come into, you know, to reign, um, they would kill everyone in the previous, um, you know, line of, you know, anyone that was connected to the, that family so that they wouldn't have, they wouldn't think they had access to, the new royal family. And so Mephibosheth, he thought he was going to die. He was like, well, if someone finds, if someone finds me, they're going to kill me. And David sends a guard because David and Jonathan were friends. And he's like, actually, I want to find anyone in his family that's still alive. And I want to take care of them. So David sends this guard and um, this guard says, hey, um, I, I'm here to help you. But when he saw the guard, he thought he deserved death because that's what he knew. Yeah. And he invites them back to his home and he actually restores his land to him and allows him to, to have a seat at his table, like not for that one day, but forever. And, and then the, the, the pastor pivoted. It's like, man, Jesus sees you that way. And he, he knows that you believe that you deserve death, but Jesus actually come, he came to extend grace. And so much more does he have grace for you. And as he continues to paint the picture, the big thing for me was understanding 
that God was good and he was just, but he's also loving. Mm-hmm. And love is indicative of choice. So you, you, he he's chose. He's not looking to just smite people yeah, up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like, uh, like John 14, 15 says, you know, uh, if, 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 if you love me, you obey my commandments. And most people think, well, you know, uh, God's this, this mean authoritative figure and he wants you to do what he says. No, he's a loving father and he, he, he gives you boundaries so that if you trust him and you do what he says is best for your life, you won't get hurt. And so for me, understanding who God was, it, it, it untangled and cleared my view of what a father was because I saw a father through the lens of my hurt. Mm. And once I could see God for who he really is, it just, uh, just, it's untangled so many things in my life. So like for me, I surrendered the shame and the hurt of, of not just porn, but feeling like I didn't have something that I needed my entire life. And the father that I was longing for, I actually always had. And, like, and the amazing thing is that person that I had that conversation with, that girl, uh, we've been married for almost six years. Wow. And we have three beautiful little boys. And like the, 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 the fact that my story gets even crazier is like the next week after I made that decision to give my life to Christ. And, and was we, that the first church service you, you got saved? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, so a week later, a week later, because like from now, you know that I mean, I'm pretty crazy. And it, when I'm in, I'm in, you know, yeah. what, whatever I'm doing, I'm all Full in. Heart. Yeah. So it's just like um, I, I, I show up to this pastor's office. I'm like, hey, um, I, I, you got a few minutes to talk. He's like, sure. I was like, I feel like God wants to he wants me to build a boat. He's like. He's like, okay, wait a minute. What are you talking about, guy? (laughs) I was like, I feel like God wants me to do something that's bigger than I can comprehend. And my grandfather did teach me this. If you want to do something, find someone that's doing what you want to do better than you, you know, find someone that's, you know, doing whatever you want to do and they're doing it excellent and then ask them a lot of questions. And I was like, well, I feel like you're doing what I want to do, but I feel like God wants to accomplish something through my life through the lens of my story, can you help me? He's like, well, actually, um, young man, there, there's a there's actually a pastor that just moved from Dallas, and he re- he relocated here with his family, and he we're planting another church. You know, this this was a large church, and there were multiple campuses, and it's like we're gonna we're gonna launch another church, and he's playing a part in that. Um, he can probably you know work with you a little bit, or or, or you know answer some of your questions. And I sit down with this guy, his name's Andrew Yates. I sit down with him and little did I know that that day he taught me how to read the Bible. Um, we started working towards like learning how to read the Bible. But for the next four years, I spent 15 to 20 hours a week with him. And I, I he mentored me and, you know, taught me what he knew and cultivated this desire to actually teach the Bible. And, wow. and through the yeah, and through that process, I, I go back to school and Went to Liberty University, studied Christian. Oh, we love Christian Liberty. Ministry. Yeah, yeah. So I went to Liberty, studied Christian ministries. And like, as I'm going through this journey, like, like I, I start to get opportunities to share my story. And I remember it was about five, five and a half years ago, there was this talk show and I shared my, I shared my story. Um, like I was, I was terrified. It was, it was the first time that I had been in a, in a setting where it's like, 
I was, you know, even though it was just a talk show and it wasn't, rec- I, I don't, you were maybe, back on set. Right. So it was like, it, I, I felt a little bit, a little bit of trauma, a little bit yeah. of nerves, but I, I, I shared my story and kind of like it blew up. And then um, he's what like, what sh- show was it? Will we know it? Um, so Steve Noble's show, gosh, what's it called? Ooh. It's okay if you don't remember. I was just yeah, curious. so Steve Steve Noble's uh, call to action, call to action, okay, call to action radio. So he uh, he actually broadcasts from uh, Southeastern University in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Okay, um, but his name's Steve Noble, and um, so I was on his show, and then a, a, a few months after that, he's like, "Hey, do you want to uh, do you want to share your 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 story at this event?" And I was like, yeah, sure. Because I thought it was like going to be the same thing. And, and it's, it was at this church. And I was like, no big deal. And I get there and it's like, it's packed. Oh, I bet. And I was like, whoa. And I had prepared because like, if you give me information, I can regurgitate it. No problem. You know, so. You're an actor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you I was, can memorize. Yeah. And so I was like, that. that's what I was going to do. It's like, I wrote my script and I was going to make it dynamic and exciting and, and all this stuff. And I was going to tell my story and I prepare it. And then I go on stage and it's like, and I, I felt like so much pressure. It's like, I need to perform. I need to, you know, make sure it's good. I, I, I need to, you know, I need to be engaging with the audience, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. And um, so there's this, uh, there's this Hebrew word, anava, and it's where we get the English word humility from. And anava means it's a, a God ordained space. Okay. And I and I felt and I and I felt like that I stepped into this space when I stepped up to the mic. So not when I was on stage, but when I stepped up to the mic, all of a sudden I felt this authority, and I felt like all the pressure was off. And then I go to you know do my spiel. I had 17 minutes. I was like, I'm going to do, you know, whatever. And I start talking and I, and I tell my story in about three minutes. And then I spend the rest of the time talking about the gospel and sharing how, you know, in, in Romans 3, 23, it says that we've, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's a problem and it's sin. And God loves us so much that he provided Jesus to be the answer for sin. And it was it never anything that we could ever do, only what Jesus did on our behalf. And by putting your faith in him, like that is what saves you. And, that, and I spent the rest of the time sharing that. And at the end of it, it's like, man, there's nothing else I ever want to do. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I, you know, so me and my wife, um, we had, I'd been in the gym industry and we opened a gym together and it oh, went cool. really well. And That's we, so cute. So full circle. Yeah. And then we opened another gym and it went really, really well. And, but then like that starts happening. It's like, man, I, I, I just want to do this. And ever since then, it's like, I, I, we sold the gym. Um, I used to own a, an online personal training company and um, business and I shifted from that and just like, I've just been telling my story and doing ministry and like, that is what my life has become. And it's like, if you would have told me ever at any point in my yeah. life that, you know, I would be sitting here with you talking about how I used to be a porn star. Like number one, I never thought that would happen. Um, but then like I gave my life to Jesus and now I, I travel and, and I teach and I preach the Bible. That's crazy. That doesn't make sense. But that's what I've been doing for almost five years. That is so awesome because 
sometimes we do plan or think we know what we want to do with our lives. And it's crazy the plan that God has. And I, I love when people talk about how like we make plans and God laughs. Oh, because yeah. my I, I life too, never, never would have thought that I would end up doing this, but it all led to each other. When I was like 13 years old, I knew I was going to work in fashion. Like I, yeah. that's all I wanted to do. And then my listeners know my story, but um, went into radio by chance just because I was a fan of the show. And then I had a whole, like a seven year radio career before then ultimately leaving that for the conservative movement and then now doing a show with yeah. the conservative movement and working in politics. The whole thing I would have never picked for myself. But um, it's so awesome, though, because, see, God knows us and he gives us these special gifts, you know, when we're born. And he's like, you know, you don't know how these are all going to come together yeah. but one day. But then sometimes you just get to a point in your life where you look back and you're like, whoa, all of those doors opening connects together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like the fact that. I was passionate about acting and I was yep. passionate about theater. I learned to communicate. Public I learned speaking. I learned to like block a room and it's like I understood you know cameras and lighting and sound and the, like especially because of like for some reason like I got into directing like while I was in that industry and I learned a little bit of editing and stuff like that and then I started coaching. It's like, okay, I, I understand how to convey a message. I know I understand how to, you know, uh, cultivate emotion and then point it in a direction. It's like this, uh, this, I, when, when I teach people how to communicate regarding like, if you're going to give a talk or whatever, it's like, no, no feel do like, what do you want someone to know? What do you want them to feel now? How do you point someone to do something with that knowledge and those emotions how can you, you know, what, what is the action step? And right. um, just like being able to do that, it's like that came from theater. And then that, and that I, I sharpened that skill mm -hmm. coaching and then like leading leaders. And then it's like, when I get on stage and I start preaching and I, and I start doing all these things, it's like, man, um, God has been preparing me to do this yeah. my whole life. Yeah. So do you travel and you just speak at other churches and stuff, or do you have your own home church that you pastor? Yeah. So they, there is a church um, in the town that I live in, in Iowa, in Cedar Rapids. So it's called Good News Baptist Church. I preach there pretty often, like several times a month, but for I don't like, I'm not the pastor there. So it's like okay. I, the, the ministry that I have is just an umbrella for what I do, but more often than not, I travel and preach at different churches. I do different talks, um, like purity conferences, things like that. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. Because uh, I've been really big on that this year is just trying to invite amazing people in Christian ministry to talk about issues like you, like sex and relationships yeah. and marriage, because that has been something since, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, um, through the mid 2000s, probably, where I think the church was doing, you know, the whole purity culture thing the wrong way. Oh, yeah. And now I think we're starting to finally get back on track where it's like, no, no, no we need to be talking about things yeah. like pornography and sex and, you know, all the good, the bad, the ugly. But then also, you know, the good is God's truth and the good news with, yeah. you know, the story of the, the of the gospel. Yeah. So all of that is so important. So I love that you're doing that. And you actually just launched a podcast. Yeah. So could you talk about that, what the name is and, and what you talk about on there? Yeah. So the, the name of the podcast is Counterfeit Culture. And the reason behind that is, so um, there is this experiment that this biologist did and he created these butterflies. He, he made an artificial butterfly and he put it out in nature Ooh. and he noticed that, you know, so he, he, he made uh, a mock female butterfly, but it was bigger, brighter, better. And the male butterfly started gravitating to the fake 
thing and they stopped mating. And all of a sudden, you know, that specific type of butterfly started to die out. And what he found out was, you know, the, the, the male butterflies, they started like, ex, ex, you know, having behavior that wasn't indicative of, of, you know, how they normally behaved. And so it's like this artificial stimulus. So it, I, I think the, 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 the coin term is super, super normal stimulus. So there was a super normal stimulus because it doesn't exist. So it's super normal. And the, the whole idea behind that is if you pursue something that you can't obtain, you're going to be insatiable for that thing. And that thing is going to lead to your your detriment. Wow. So in life, like how do we identify counterfeits? So again, like back to the bank, you know, in a, in a bank, how does a teller identify a counterfeit dollar bill? They don't spend time looking at counterfeits. They become very familiar the real thing. with the real thing. So scripture tells us that we can test and approve what is best. So by knowing what is real, we can know what is counterfeit. So on the podcast, different like social media, um, you know, sex, all these topics, it's like, what have you experienced in your life as you were pursuing whatever it is you were pursuing? What did you find that didn't leave you with the satisfaction that you thought it was going to have? Like maybe it was, you, you know, someone pursuing success in, in you know, sports or uh, maybe it was, you know, you chasing after all these women or whatever it might be, um, or or just social media in general, where it's like if if the mom out there is um, beating themselves up because their family doesn't look like their friend's family on Instagram, we can know that um, that 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 photograph, it was probably one of 40 photographs taken. Yep. Well, I can and, attest to that. Yeah, there is I mean, not just one selfie. There's 150. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it's like we we pursue this thing to, that doesn't exist. And if you can't obtain it, it drives you crazy. But, but for some reason, you'll keep chasing after that because of that first time that dopamine hit that you got, that thrill that you got from trying it. And that's how porn works. So porn works that way where you're you're trying to pursue this fantasy like we talked about earlier that doesn't exist. Those things that you watch in those movies no one no one's doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if they are, do they really like it or are they just imitating something they saw? And in every case when you start to desire something that's not good for you, mm-hmm. it's going to lead to your detriment. Thank you so much, Josh, for sharing your testimony, your story. I love how God has used you and is continuing to use you and the fact that that led you to the spillover. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I have never in my life heard a story quite like this. I mean, when I was working in radio, I knew people who worked on adult film sets and I did hear some wild things, but nothing quite to this extent. I know I always tell you to share episodes with friends, but you've got to share this episode with everyone, especially the men in your life, because so many people struggle with porn or are so desensitized to it that they think it's no big deal and it really is a massive deal. You heard it from Josh. The porn you watch is either made by people whose lives are being ruined by it, or it's made by people forced into sexual abuse. And sometimes these victims 
could be children. You never know. Anytime you turn on literally any type of pornographic content, you're either hurting yourself, your partner, or the person on the screen that you're objectifying. So make sure you're sharing this episode everywhere. Then leave a five-star review because those really help us here at The Spillover. We bring you new episodes every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget, you can watch the episodes on the Politics YouTube channel there. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye. Oh,